Kia ora and welcome to Right at Home, realising a future where all New Zealanders are well housed. This is a podcast about how we can realise a fairer housing future for Aotearoa New Zealand. What solutions do the experts, changemakers and policy people have? Join me, Vic Crockford, Community Housing Aotearoa's Chief Executive, as we look for a way to ensure the human right to a decent home is a reality for all New Zealanders. So make sure you follow, rate and share to help us get the word out there and settle in for what will be a fascinating discussion. Today we're joined by Kate Kearney, CEO of Ōtutahi Community Housing Trust, to talk about leadership and systems change. Welcome, Kate. Kia lovely to be here. Kate, we're going to start today with a question that we're asking all of our guests, and we're going to ask you about a time when you felt most at home. Well, I loved this question because it had me traversing the world trying to work out when I felt most at home, and I landed with when I lived in London. I love big cities. I love the excitement, the energy, the architecture, all of those things, so even though I was thinking of the west coast of the South Island, I thought, no, I think London is it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Kate? I love that idea of the energy of cities, and it certainly links us to uh, what we're going to talk about in terms of your role in Christchurch. What was it about the energy of the city that really drew you? Oh, it's just got its own life, hasn't it? You know, you walk down the streets, there's so many interesting things to look at. The architecture is really inspiring because, of course, we're such a young country. You don't have beautiful centuries-old buildings to look at. And the people were so interesting. And it's just, you know, traversing and working through a large city. It's not that easy, but I did love it. We will certainly come back to that idea of being a young country and what's ahead of us in terms of our architectural practice as well. But look, I just want to talk a little bit with you about leadership and your leadership roles in particular. So you are well known as a leader in our sector, in the community housing sector, but prior to your current role at Ōtotahi Community Housing Trust, you held senior leadership roles in the mental health and addiction sectors. Could you start by telling us a little bit more about what you did in those roles and then maybe what ultimately drew you to the community housing sector? I tend to be one of those people that follows my nose, actually, rather than having a specific career pathway. So I was very fortunate early in my second career. I was a clinician and I was approached to do some leadership roles and some of them were just fabulous. It was a woman's program, coordinating that across families who are in need of addiction care. And it was my first time of trying to set up a program with other service providers that allowed the whānau to stay together so that that precious time of recovery was done as a whānau, not as an individual. So that was my start in leadership. And from there, again, I was very fortunate. I applied to lead an alcohol and drug helpline. And it was a national service, but based here in Christchurch. I've been in Christchurch now for too many years. I think it's 25 odd years. So that was great. And that was so exciting because it was reaching out across New Zealand and trying to have diversity in terms of the phone lines that we were offering, moving a service from a voluntary service to a paid service. So that was great fun. But at the end of that, I was you could say I'm a, a community person who's really driven by seeing great outcomes for communities. And I love working in the not-for-profit. But at that stage, I went, I just need to go sideways. I need to lattice. And I thought there's a role going at, uh, at 
one of the mental healths here in Christchurch at Hillmorton. So I applied for a role there and I got it. And that was a great learning curve. I worked with extraordinarily clever, interesting doctors and clinicians and nurses and allied health professionals. And it was a very big role. You were the helicopter, really. You weren't really influencing the care on a day-to-day basis for the patients, but you're making sure that all the systems were set up in such a way that everyone was well protected and well supported. I learned a heap in that job and I was there for six years actually and I seemed to get the itch every six years. And then I saw this role advertised. I went, oh, this is like everything coming together, everything, because it was the people, so it's housing people most in need, but it was also about the homes that they live in and were they healthy enough and were they the right size and the right build and were they warm enough and dry enough. And the fact that it was a total startup, I just found really fantastic opportunity and I was thrilled to be given the opportunity to work at Otatahi Community Housing Trust. And there are deep connections between the mental health and addictions services and the housing sector. We know that in terms of the number of our members and your fellow providers who also support mental health and addiction services. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about those connections and how you see them working in practice on the ground. I would say for our whanau, for our tenants living in our homes, we have a very large stock of one-bed homes. About 93% of our 2,500 homes are one-beds. And so what you usually see is people may have lost their supports, their whanau. They may not have much around them. And often it's due to issues such as mental health or addiction. And it then goes on to influence if they're able to live well in their homes. And quite often people aren't. So you need to make sure that you've got the supports in place that they want, not that we think they need, but the kind of support and help and assistance to, to have them living as long as they want to in our homes in a sustainable way. The challenges for people with mental health and addictions is they have so much going on in their internal world that to deal with all the struggles of keeping a home and staying in a home can be really challenging. So we have a fantastic team who are just out out in our complexes and our homes all the time, making sure that people know who they are and working with people to give them options and ideas for how to live well in their homes. Thanks, Kate. And I, I think that what you've just reflected on there in terms of what is going on in people's internal worlds could also be said of all of the things that your hometown of Ōtutahi Christchurch has grappled with in the last six years since you have been Chief Executive at the Trust. It's navigated recovering from the earthquakes, the terrorist attack of 2019, and obviously also during COVID. What would be some of the key lessons you've learned from this time and what the Trust has achieved and done over this time in the community that you're most proud of or would like to reflect on the most? People who live in Ōtutahi, actually, and those who have remained, tend to be very resilient. You get the two ends of the pendulum, actually. You get people who are very resilient or people who have just had so much struggle that they can't really take the next big hit. So we've seen it all, really. And I suppose for us, it's How do we support our team who are out there every day working with people who may be under stress or maybe just very blasé about the fact that we've had another crisis in Christchurch? 
Back in the day of the earthquakes, while the portfolio was still within council, the housing team were amazing. They were on the ground moving people out of homes in a very short period of time. And that can-do attitude was something we were always going to have at the Trust. So we really encourage our fantastic team when something happens. First of all, we take care of our team, but we reach out to our tenants almost immediately. And I think the thing I am most proud of probably is the way the team moved straight into COVID response, calling all our tenants, making sure they were supported. We dropped off vouchers so that they could all have sanitary things within their homes because we knew they'd be stressed. The lockdown happened so quickly. So that was just a significant change of pace and change of direction to do everything virtually because it wasn't really safe for us to be going on the ground and going into people's homes. And the team responded brilliantly. They were just so creative about how we got those supports out there. And just reflecting on that can-do attitude for a moment, I would absolutely endorse the can-do attitude of both the trust and the wider network of community housing providers in Otatahi and Tawaipo Namu as the peak body. We really looked to you and your network for that example of collaboration and teamwork and just simply having each other's backs. And I know you bring that can-do attitude and collaboration to another part of the sector as well, which is innovative architecture and green technologies. So you are well known within the sector and increasingly outside of the sector for the leadership in this area. And you've obviously got car sharing schemes going on and you've been working really closely with Naila Love on a particular housing typology as well. And you just alluded to us earlier in your in our discussion around your love of London and the urban design factor there. So I just want to know what sparked your interest in these areas and how you've gone about integrating some of these innovations and changes into Ototahi Community Housing Trust's work. What's really important when you do this kind of work is that you're driven by people who really believe in this as a philosophy. So I was extremely lucky to have a governance board who absolutely have a passion for building the best quality homes we can. So starting from then, right back in 2017, we said we're going to build the best homes we can that are going to have longevity, but also potentially reduce the life cycle costs of the building because we've invested more upfront to get the best quality of a warm, dry home we can. And yes, I love architecture. I absolutely love it. I love looking at pictures. I'm always looking for a pretty picture somewhere to show someone. People know I'm like that. I'm very superficial, really. But I've been so fortunate to have fantastic people work with me in the development space. And our particular development manager of the moment, Ed Leeson, is just fantastic. Nothing is too bigger problem, even that when we throw in really curly curveballs and we say, look, can you go and investigate underground heating that we might supply to 90 homes and we may not charge tenants? Can you go and see if that will work? Or can you go and see if we can put solar panels on all those homes? Because we think that would be a really good thing. And so it's a it's almost a fluid evolving approach to how we build the homes as our confidence has grown. We didn't start like this. We were really careful in the beginning to make sure that we knew how to do the basic, but that was when we started to build. And now 235 homes on, we're taking a few more risks and looking for a few more innovation projects. And now we're moving into offsite manufacture for one of our next builds. So really exciting to see what that might do for us. And I want to come back to this idea of beauty. And I had a laugh there off mic around it, around that. I'm superficial, really. I think that something we don't talk about often 
here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, in relation to affordable housing, we have this idea that beauty and design is reserved for the wealthy, frankly, or those who can afford to design their own home. And I just want to touch on that because this is the second conversation I've had in as many weeks where we've touched on the concept of beauty. And actually, beauty is really important in terms of how we feel in our home. A home that makes us feel good is often a home that is beautiful to us. And we've had these really interesting chats about the fact that beauty shouldn't be the reserve of the elite. Actually, we should all be thinking about beautiful design. And I really wanted to commend you actually on that because I certainly the believe the houses I've seen that, that you've been building, or 235 was, are really beautiful homes. And I just want you to tell me a little bit more about that design process, because I think that's quite important. And maybe something that people don't understand about the community housing sector is actually how much development and design expertise resides in the sector. And just to circle back to what you said, I have a trustee who would say the poor deserve the best. And that is really where we've started from. But it's that idea of people will live well if we give them beauty and we give them aesthetics that give them some space. So again, coming back to that whole philosophy, if people have been struggling all through their lives and they need affordable accommodation, don't stick them in a little, as some of our homes are, 35 square metre home without some beauty around them so that they can go outside and it has been a driver of how we build. In fact, some people would say to us, look, we wouldn't have put all that green space, we would have put another two homes there actually, you've got too much green space. But we've also been guided by some really brilliant landscape designers as we've worked through this process and we particularly brought in the idea of being guided by Māori principles of design and so you'll find as you go through our homes there's circular paths there are little fruit gardens there are native gardens there are quiet spaces in some of the complexes we've really adopted the idea of maybe shared gardens and that's just waiting to see how that goes but we've got raised beds and all of the new developments so the idea of that is if people can just plant a few plants and cut down on their costs of food that's again helping them to have a bit more money left over at the end of the week so we've been very intentional all the way through this it's been building blocks once we worked out what was the specification for what is a good home for people to live in, then it's what will make a really great community that people will look after. Now, Kate, can you give us a bit of background about Ōtutahi Community Housing Trust and how it came to be? The trust was established by Christchurch City Council in 2016. They were desperately looking for a way to make their portfolio viable. At the time, they had 2,300 homes. They were mainly one beds, and they were all around Christchurch City and Banks Peninsula, mainly built in complexes with between 15 to 50 homes. So that scale is quite important when we talk about what we do. I was the first employee. I started with my own computer and my own phone. Today we have 50 employees. And as well as being a social landlord and a community housing provider, we're actually a property and development entity as well. So we maintain all our homes, two and a half thousand homes we now have. We have a property team internally, we have a panel of trades, we actually are now doing the design on upgrades and as well as that we develop and build homes. So now I want to talk a little bit about the homes themselves and talking about communities that people will look after. You've certainly 
intentionally built homes that people are proud of and will look after as well. Now you've you've had a number of collaborative approaches to building, but most recently you've opened a number of homes that you've worked on with Naila Love. And I just wondered if you could talk us through that process, the project you've been working on with Naila Love and the potential in terms of replicability, energy efficiency, and the response to the climate challenges that we are all facing. Absolutely. So that in itself is a journey that started possibly two years ago when Naila Loved worked with Tuahiriri, with a couple there who are very well known in this area, to build a Mahana home, which was almost like a pilot of what could a warm, beautiful built home that is almost a passive home, but not quite. It has internal mechanical ventilation. So it's a very healthy home. It was designed with children with asthma in mind, making sure that everything within the home was right for the best possible outcomes, but also very efficient because of the way the wall linings, etc., would last the duration of the home. It was a brilliant house, and I really loved it when I went to see it. And people... It might have taken a little bit of time to get a few people over the line on it, but really it was worth, to me, it was an opportunity for innovation. And what particularly drove me was Naila Lava, the largest construction company in New Zealand. So why wouldn't we try to work up a specification for a home that could be replicated anywhere else in New Zealand by other community housing providers working with Naila Love, where the housing is so needed? The other thing that was really attractive about it, it was off-site manufacture. So the house was due to go up in about 18 weeks, I think, from beginning to end. What we did, though, with Naila Love, they had designed a one-story home. And again, coming back to Ed Leeson, who's the most marvellous person to be working with on these projects, he really believes in good use of land. So he always wants to build a minimum of two storeys. Um, and we worked with Naila Love to get the design right for them and for us. And so it took a little bit longer. I think it took us about 20 weeks because there was a COVID outbreak in there. But we did open six of these stunning homes just in August. And the idea is that not only are they energy efficient, oh, and we are actually measuring are they energy efficient. So it's not just build them. We have other projects going on with local lines, people to see what is the power use in these homes. But I've walked in there on a winter day in Christchurch, no heating on, and the house was relatively warm. I would have put on a heat pump, but the men with me said they were absolutely fine. I went, okay, so that works. So brilliant homes, lovely wood everywhere. The idea, again, was an internal aesthetic that would calm and soothe people. And I think we've done a really great job. So we're now really happy to work with Naila Love again on what might a three-bedroom look like, what might a four-bedroom look like, and potentially with those designs designed up, they might be available for other chips around New Zealand. That's the ultimate aim for Otatahi, to make sure that we spread our IP. We don't want to keep it. We just want to see homes built. Now, that's a fantastic segue to my next question of you, Kate. You are also the co-chair of our organisation, Community Housing Aotearoa, and you do, in that role, have a very wide perspective of our sector, much wider than most. And we've talked about replicability and response to climate change through prefabricated materials being some of the upcoming opportunities for our sector. But I was wondering if you could talk us through more opportunities that you see on the horizon, as well as the threats or really hard stuff that our sector should be thinking about. 
Well, it's an absolute privilege to be the co-chair of CHAR, and I've especially loved working with you, Vic. You're just easy to work with, and it's fun. You have a fabulous team who do great work, and, you know, in the role of a council, we're seeking to enhance the strategic position of CHAR, but actually looking across New Zealand to say, what is the housing need, and how are we going to solve it? And I think what we find is we're all incredibly passionate about being the jewel in the crown, not the kid on the corner, but we want to actually contribute as much as we possibly can throughout New Zealand. And so that brings us to the challenges because New Zealand is unique, I think, potentially in the way that it actually has looked at community housing as a part. We're probably smaller in terms of community housing than other countries around the world. State does an amazing job of building Kaina Ora, are doing brilliant work. We believe that we should be right there alongside building as many homes as we can. 26,000 people in need of a home in Aotearoa, New Zealand today. It's just wrong. We all need to somehow find a way to solve what is the housing crisis. And so the role of the Char Council is to work strategically to support your team in executing the strategy, but to hear hear from our members around New Zealand about what are the pain points, what isn't working, what could we do differently. So what I see coming for us in the next year is really talking about how we support our whānau in our homes. Sometimes people call us niche. I don't think we're that niche. How many homes do the community housing sector provide, Vic? It's Over 18,000 under management and significant proportion of those are increasingly owned by the sector. Yeah. Yeah, so not niche. We, in fact, know how to look after people in our homes. We know how to build and we want to do more. So I believe that our challenge going forward is, um, I know the partners are out there, it's actually, we say finance is the issue. I think it's more the legal and risk-adverse nature of signing deals with other financiers that puts a lot of chips off. If there was a way we could simplify what it costs and what it takes to build. And we've said many things. We've said a government underwrite. Is there any way to make this a an asset group that everyone understands which starts to de-risk the idea of building? Because you've got enough chips around New Zealand who I would say by now are quite expert as builders. And then you have some who are very expert at actually having a partner take that risk on behalf of them rather than them carrying the risk. So for me, it's let's just get more houses built. Let's just not keep talking about it. Let's do it. You've alluded to the fact there that there are many different models and ways of doing things. And there are certainly different ways to do partnership as well. Given the acute nature of the crisis that we find ourselves in, as well as the looming issues related to climate change when it comes to our housing sector. I'm thinking here insurance, which is on the lips of our sector at the moment already and certainly will get more difficult. Do you think there is one thing or a suite of things that the sector should be focusing on the most now to respond to the urgency now? Or do you think we simply need to be putting one foot after the other towards that vision you just articulated so well of seeing more whānau in great homes? 
what a great question. I think we have to shout from our roofs about what a competent sector we have. I think if the sector was better understood, we'd manage some of the risk that is out there, especially with the insurers. Yes, there is risk. Yes, there is climate change coming our way. We're trying to do our bit to be more carbon neutral. We need more chips to actually understand that you can do that. It may cost you a wee bit more upfront, but you may find over time those kind of things reduces the cost of your building through its lifetime. So those kind of stories, I don't think we've taken the time to articulate. And I think it's because we're all so busy doing the day job that to sit back and say, look, we want to actually promote this sector. What would it take? And I suppose that's the baton we've handed to Char to say if Char can be out there telling the stories of our members, that is a wonderful thing to do. But it also lifts up our people, our whānau living in our homes. We want their mana to be upheld. We don't want them being seen as poor people who are needy. Yes, they need some support with affordable rent, but we've got amazing people living in our homes. And I also don't think many New Zealanders understand that the people living in our homes are like any of their neighbours most of the time. So, yeah, those two components I think we need to talk about more. People living in our homes, what they get from having a stable, warm, affordable home and the competence of the chip sector. Thank you, Kate. And it's certainly a baton that we take on with great pride to talk about the capabilities, the successes and the contribution of our sector to solving this housing crisis. Kate, I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about some of those stories on the ground, the stories of people whose lives have been changed and transformed by having a decent place to call home and actually being able to live with dignity in their communities. I have a really lovely story about a family who moved into our most recent build of the six homes in Hallswell. And they had been couch surfing, a mum and her son, they had been couch surfing for a long period of time. And the son had issues with anxiety and his support person was his cat. And all the time they were couch surfing, he had to leave his cat with other people. And that for him was hugely distressing. So when they were taken to see this home in Hallswell, and he found out that he could not only live there, he asked the question, can my cat come here too? And he and his mum just cried. It was moving because that's what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see people getting to live in their homes and being able to live as you and I live in our homes with our pets. Imagine not being able to have your pets or your whānau come to visit because you don't actually have a home you can call your own. So this is about our older homes because it's not just the new homes. New homes are brilliant, but we have lots of people living in homes. One day, one of our fabulous tenancy advisors was wandering around a complex and one of our tenants has unfortunately for some time been really angry with us and very angry and aggressive whenever we go round to the point that we can't really do any inspections in his home. This particular day, our lovely tenancy advisor stopped to talk to him and said, and he said, you're the reason why I had to kill my dogs. I couldn't get a home because you wouldn't let me have dogs. I was homeless. I needed a home. Now, that wasn't the trust. That was before us. He was tenanted through council. And back in the day, dogs weren't allowed. And so our fabulous tenancy advisor said, don't you have a corner flat? And he went, yes. 
and she said, couldn't you build a fence around your garden? And if you build a fence around your little garden, you can have a dog. And he couldn't believe it. She went back there not long after. He's built the fence. Miss, miss, come see me, miss. Miss, I've got my dog again. And it's the stories we don't know. Someone sees an angry, aggressive person. He was grieving because he had to put down his dogs to get a home. So I thought that was one of those fabulous stories of someone just taking some innovation and saying, you can have an animal, you can have a pet again. That's so special. I, one of the hardest things I've done with a young family is leave our dog behind when we moved. And I think it's a trauma that's actually really deep when you are without a pet or lose a pet. I, we really felt that as a family. And I can just imagine the joy that it brings to be reunited, particularly when your pet is your companion. That's a really important relationship. For my final question, I just want to zoom out again and ask you to reflect on the biggest thing you've learned about leadership at the systems level. You've talked about leadership in lots of different ways throughout our discussion, but I just wondered if you have one reflection on an experience or a quality or a characteristic that has seen you through in the face of really difficult times and also great opportunity tricky question, Vic. Systems change. Yes, slow down and look at what it is you're seeking to achieve, I suppose, is what I've learned along the way. But the other thing I've learned along the way is I may be the front person, but it's the people who work with me. They may be working with us here at Otatahi. They may be our partners. They may be the people that I stop and have a chat to who suddenly inspire me and I go, oh, that's a great idea. And off I go running after that. But I love the thought that we can do more and we can make a difference if we work together. And I think my main thing for me is often I have to slow down a little bit because I'm a fly by the seat of the pants person. One of my leadership lessons that I've had through my life is slow down and take people with you. Sometimes I can't because we have to change direction and there is a real driver for why we need to change. But I think the helicopter view the sitting back and looking and the people that you need to achieve what you want to achieve. That's the gold for me. I think that's an absolutely wonderful place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time today. Kate Cooney, CEO of Autotahi Community Housing Trust. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you tune in to our next episode as we look for a way to ensure the human right to a decent home is a reality for all New Zealanders. So give us a like, leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Until next time, kā kite.